Hi, this is Rachel McElroy. Hello, this is Griffin McElroy. And this is wonderful. Been a week of no natural disasters, in our place at least. There's been yeah. some of in other places, but that's just kind of par for the course at this point. But I feel like we we got our hand firmly on the rudder. I've got one on the rudder. You got one on the the big other the other the thing. big sail. What's the cross cross sail rigging? And I've got another hand on the steam lever <laughs> that chooses how many knots the ship uh-huh. moves at. Foot foot on the pedal. So yeah, you've got a foot on the pedal, and you have one hand on the the top sail rigging. Uh-huh. I've got one on the rudder and the steam power. That leaves you with another free hand. So do you think that maybe you could? I mean, have a ma- have the map. You could have the map in one. And the topsail rigging in the other. Is this still a metaphor or are we actually piloting I a boat? I think we're piloting a big boat at okay. this point with just two people, which is not enough people for the top of, type uh, of ship we're talking I, about. I will say that we have running water now. Yes. Uh, so if, if we- Glow wanted, up! <laughs> we wanted to have a little, a little bathtub boat, we could oh, do that. Oh, sure we could. Oh, yeah. Running water opens a lot of doors for you <laughs> yeah. uh, vis-a-vis nautical play. <laughs> it's a wonderful show where we talk about things we like, things that we're into. Um, thank you all so much for the the very warm reception to the last episode. I know it was a break from our usual formula, but yeah, um, so many folks like encouraging us to feel our feelings, and I think Griffin and I, just because of our upbringing and our temperament, yes. have a tendency to be like, oh, but you know, we're really we're fortunate because you know, like we're still alive and breathing, right? And everybody was like, hey, things That's suck. And it's okay to acknowledge that they suck. And I appreciate that reminder. Yes, I will champion that for you and our listeners at home. But my, <laughs> I had this the the sort of gene imprint of Southern Baptist <laughs> upbringing for uh, you know eighteen years or whatever is uh, that's a t- that's a tough code to crack. I know, I know. Well, and I I think too it's it's you know it, it when you are surrounded in Austin by people, you know, living in an apartment complex who still do not, you know, have running water. Yeah, sure. It's easy to be like, well, we're fortunate, yes. you know, in that sense. But I, I appreciate people giving us space to Yeah, it was very, very nice. Um, Write but, it out. But I'm back on my bullshit over here. Okay. Uh, <laughs> with, with some more lightweight topics. But hey, do you have any small wonders? Before we get started in earnest? Uh, you know, we just finished the second season of Blown Away. Yes. And I, as Griffin knows, kind of went back and forth on it. Uh, there is but, an insufferable personality on the show, the second yeah. season. Um, that- yeah, it's, it's, the show is obviously focused on people that blow glass. And there is a professor of glass blowing, I guess, yeah. on the show who uh, has quite the ego. Yeah. And it was difficult to watch him. Uh, he like wouldn't do, they'd be like, make a make a cartoon thing. And he wouldn't do it. And yeah. he'd be like, I don't know if you know this about me yet, but uh, <laughs> I kind of don't like to follow the rules. And it's like, then fucking leave. Uh, he, I mean, it didn't help that he had like, not only like taught some of the guest judges, but like had established himself so much in the community that I right. think he came in with this sense of like, this is my show to win. Right. Uh, so I had some difficulty with it, but the last episode, they, they really, they had to put together their own little gallery exhibit and it was beautiful. Yeah. Man, I should have thought of something while you were talking about that. (laughs) I'm just going to say like. You want to talk about, uh, the, the cookie, the little cookie snack you got? Vanilla wafers? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I bought last, a- last night you were so enthusiastic. You were like, this is a cookie that has been with me my entire life that I have always enjoyed. Yeah, we, Henry got uh, sick. And so I had to go to the grocery store to like find, you know, sick food fare that you could eat. <laughs> Nilla wafers were like a staple for me growing up. But I also like, I realized like I have very strong memories of eating Nilla wafers like off a off a paper plate in daycare or something like that, and like being like, man, I'm still crushing these bad boys. Nilla wafers <laughs> hold it down. Uh, I do appreciate the Nilla wafer. Yeah. I go first this week, okay. and I want to start out by talking about the porcupine. Been a while since we talked about an animal. I feel like, and I don't know why mine always focus so firmly in the the world of rodentia, but um, yeah, there's something about the snout. Yeah. Uh, and the low to the ground, I think I think it appeals to you. Yes. 
Uh, and I get it. Yeah, I've talked about the capybara on this show, and yeah. what is a what is a porcupine except a dangerous capybara, <laughs> like a cool, edgy capybara? Uh, they are, you know, fairly similar in size. Only obviously, the porcupine has the big and the wombat quills. too. Wombat too, also, yeah. yeah. Uh, I forget. I think a porcupine is the third largest rodent on the planet, and the only ones bigger than it are the uh, are the capybara, and I believe the badger mm, is a badger a rodent. You're looking for Mickey Mouse. Mickey Mouse is also tall. He wears human clothes, and that's fucked up. <laughs> um, so yeah, they got these big, long, defensive quills all over their body, which is great for them, but bad for anybody who might want to, you know, give one of these bad boys a big hug. Which maybe by the end of this segment. Um, might include you. I didn't really understand porcupines. I didn't really know that I liked porcupines until I saw this uh, video, or I guess it was a series of viral videos of a delightful big boy of a porcupine named Teddy Bear. And he eats a variety of gourds, mostly. <laughs> the way I just said the word gourds was Oscar worthy. They were <laughs> gourds. And he just gobbles them down and he makes the sounds. That oh, are, the sounds. I actually have pulled a clip oh, from good, the good, video good, good. Uh, of Teddy Bear eating just a bunch of little tiny pumpkins out of a bucket so you all can fall in love with, with Teddy Bear all over again. Oh, what is it, Teddy? Pumpkin? Can you say pumpkin? So good. It almost sounds, it sounds, you. it's one of those things where if you listen, you can hear human words. Like, uh -huh. yum. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I found myself, because I, I don't know, with these videos, you never really know, like, why you're watching it. Like, right. is it just cute or does something incredible happen? And I swear I thought he said pumpkin. Yeah. Because she was encouraging him to, to acknowledge that it was a pumpkin. And right. I swear he said pumpkin. But he didn't. He is still a porcupine. <laughs> and it's fun. It's fun. Like, we like to play here and we like fun things. But, we, you know, magical thinking can get you in <laughs> trouble sometimes. So there's two main flavors of porcupine, uh, which are actually, like, pretty different. Uh, there is, and I don't know why they're called this, the old world porcupines who live in southern Europe, western and southern Asia, and most of Africa. And the new world world porcupines who live in North America and Northern South America. Uh, and old world porcupines are like purely terrestrial. They are purely nocturnal. Um, More they, conservative in their views. Very cons hugely <laughs> conservative. Um, no, they are a bit bigger um, than new world porcupines. And what makes new world porcupines stand apart is obviously they're a little bit smaller, but also they climb trees. They live in like wooded areas. So they will climb trees wow. and spend most of their time up there. Uh, and they are not like strict, strictly nocturnal. They, they can, they can party in the daytime uh, a little bit too. So yeah, I mean, an ocean apart, these, these two different types of porcupines are actually quite different. Yeah. Um, but both of them do have the quills, uh, which is part of a suite of defense mechanisms. Uh, that it employs against predators. So when someone steps to a, a porcupine, they flare out their quills to look bigger in the nighttime, especially because they're you know usually fairly uh, monochromatic or or yeah. you know just black and white. Their appearance is sort of disguised by their big big quills now. Uh, yeah. But also they sort of simulate the skunk stripe. So oh. like there is a coloration thing there that this is all part of uh, what are called. And I've always thought this was very fascinating, but I didn't know the word for it. Uh, aposematic defenses, which are just visual warnings against predators like certain certain types of frogs that have like bright red and, you know, black coloration as if to say like, hey, check this color out. I am poisonous. Do not you do not want to mess with this. Porcupines have that like all over in their colors, the fact that they have quills, the fact that they make their quills larger, they rattle their teeth uh, together Whoa. and their quills together to make a like pretty loud noise actually. Yeah. That can be kind of scary. Uh, and they, they rely on that coloration a bit to make uh, you know predators think they're a skunk, but they can also make a smell. Uh, their smell comes out of their like skin all over and it's not like skunk strong, but it's like enough to make a predator go like, oh, okay, never mind. And if all else fails, they will run backwards or swing their tail into a predator and get them with these big barbed, so good luck pulling them out, quills. They are wow. serious, serious business. Hey, I didn't know about the smell. 
I didn't either. One other like misnomer that I don't know how it went on this long is like a thing that people just assumed about porcupines. I had always thought that they could project out their quills. Like yeah. they could fire off their quills. It's not true. Like they just don't. For, for forever, everyone just thought like, oh, well, they can just blast out their quills like they're, a, you, you know, a superhero or something. Yeah, I think, well, because primarily your exposure to porcupines is like cartoons. Right. Kid. I feel like there's a lot of Bugs Bunny cartoons where you're like, uh-oh, look out. They're going to shoot those at you. Yeah, that's not that's not how they do it. They huh. they will just sort of run their ass back at you, much like the wombat does when he crushes you with his big, <laughs> big powerful butt. Rodents have figured out butt warfare, and that's that's <laughs> and and people we you know us humans we think we rule the roost, but we can do we can do great things with our butts, great things <laughs> with our butts. We can make history with our butts, but we haven't quite cracked the 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 rodent code. Do you think of how to use the butt to smash the bad guy? There are military personnel in a lab watching just a series of twerking videos, thinking, "How can we weaponize how can we, this? How can we turn this into a weapon? <laughs> if if us human beings had quills or just like a firm carapace, like a, a, a you know, or a keratin hide around our just butt, I don't know what it looks like." But if someone breaks into my house and wants to hurt my family, I want to do a big butt smash on them with yeah. butt warfare. Learn from big rats. The hard thing about butt warfare is you have to turn your back on your opponent. Yeah. You know? And, and that's a dangerous maneuver. But not if you have a huge, strong butt back there with, I don't know, a big, like horns coming out of it. Uh-huh. Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. No, I don't I do. want to you know, violate the sanctity of what we have already accomplished with butts. I don't want to like rob yeah. Peter to pay butt Paul. Yeah. I want to, I want to, I want to <laughs> just keep it. I want to keep my family safe. Uh huh. Anyway, um, porcupines are great. Uh, props to the hedgehog too. It's basically like a little porcupine. It's a lot easier to hold. Yeah. Um, but uh, today we're talking about porcupines. It's so, so cool. Uh, they're, they're a very cute, cute guy with a lot of uh, aposematic defenses that I find, Really fascinating. I, I love shit like that where it's like, this guy was cute and delicious and getting gobbled up all the time. And so he's like, what can I do about that? And evolved quills. And he's like, okay, that'll, that'll do for now. Love it. That's really good. I'm wondering if we could make a pin out of butt warfare. Like how one would even represent that. <laughs> Just maybe it's a porcupine eating a pumpkin, but looking over its shoulder at you, looking at its butt, like, try it. Try something. I don't know if that would read on a pin or not. Well, it's not our job, you know. It's not. You're right. We're not the artists. We here. are word artists and joke artists mm-hmm. and fact artists, mm-hmm. which is to say liars. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my first thing is something I've really been missing lately, and it is the king size bed. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a brag. This is a brag. <laughs> we have a big. We have a king size bed. We have a big bed. But that's just because we cannot touch each other at night (laughs) that sounds much dire than uh what is the actual we are not night snugglers we don't fall asleep cradled in each other's arms we need space i am very skeptical that there are people that really do that consistently because i am like a wild animal in that if i am pinned under anything yes I immediately just it. start thinking, like, how can I get out of this? Yeah, we were spooning once on the couch, and I noticed that you had gnawed through my wrist <laughs> to free yourself. Um, it was kind of cute. <laughs> so right now, because of the destruction in our home uh, from the plumbing disaster, we are sleeping upstairs on a trundle bed. We each have our own twin. Uh, it is fine. It is comfortable, but we um, are are not enjoying the comforts of our large bed. Yes, a trundle bed. If you do, if you if you don't know, because I don't think I knew until we had one, is like a bed. But then there's another secret bed that you pull out <laughs> underneath it. So yeah. we're kind of sta- sta- stair stepped. Yeah. I'm on the lower bed, just always looking up at my beautiful <laughs> 17 month pregnant wife <laughs> up on her beautiful soft Casper pedestal. <laughs> uh yeah that's it's a it's a trip yeah i uh and the, the interesting thing too so when i um when griffin and i first started cohabitating i believe we were sleeping on a s- 
full-size full bed. Full-size bed, yes. Yeah, I uh, was living by myself and got a full-size bed for me, and then we moved in together, and we weren't ready to purchase a large bed together. Right. And so we just skipped the queen entirely, went straight to the king. Went straight there. Uh, partially because we were expecting Henry, and everybody right. had told us you need a bigger bed. Right. <laughs> and it changed. it changed my life. Changed everything. Yeah. This like king size bed thing is a relatively new phenomenon. I mean, it's not new in that like it's it's existed since like the the sixties, the fifties and sixties, but the increase in interest in it has gone up significantly. Huh. Why is that? Just people are getting bigger. People are getting bigger. That that's a hundred percent. Oh, I was true. goofing. Okay. Yeah. No. I mean, well. So here's the thing. So uh, in nineteen hundred. Only 4% of adult men in the United States were six feet or taller. Whoa. And then by 1959, that number was 20%. Whoa. Uh, and then women were growing taller at similar rates. So like, people just got bigger. Milk. That milk makes us <laughs> big, didn't it? Are you, are you talking about cow's milk or some kind of human milk that I don't really want to? I'm not talking. Well, I'm not talking about getting like human growth hormone through breast milk. No, I'm saying we drank our milk and got our, our bones bigger. Yeah. Fuck yes. Are you kidding me? I didn't realize we got that much bigger that fast. That's great. Uh, something I didn't know is actually a queen and a king size bed are the same length. Yes. Uh. And the California king is actually not as wide as a king, but it is longer. Interesting. So, the king is a square, right? Is a it's well, it's it's seventy six by eighty inches. Oh, essentially a square. Yeah, and then uh, when you get to the California king, you get eighty four inches, which is seven feet long. Woof. California kings were uh, made popular by kind of celebrity mansions. In yeah. the early 1960s, the Los Angeles Furniture Company started making oversized beds for celebrity mansions, and this is kind of how this became a. That's too a much. Thing. That's I love a big bed. I I have always been a proponent of you spend so much time in a bed. Yeah, it is like. The first thing I think I spent a lot of money on was yeah. a was a was a good bed because no, I realized true. that I am first of all a, a <laughs> fucking precious princess in a pea situation. This literally. was not always true though. Okay, so this is the thing that I don't know if you just became a man that appreciated the finer things or if something changed about your body because when I met you, yeah, you had been sleeping- On a busted ass hoopty of a mattress. No, for <laughs> sure. But I think it's because I slept on that mattress for so long yeah. that my that I really fucked myself you up. You also started traveling a lot more and I think that influenced yeah. your decision of like, when I sleep on a bad bed, I feel bad. That's true. So yeah, so in the, in the 60s is when they started encouraging people to upgrade to larger bedding. Uh, and in 1953, king-size bedding represented less than 1% of overall bedding sales. Uh, in 1961, this had risen to 5%. And then in 1962, it was 10%. Okay, it so just we, we knew right away this is a good bed. Started skyrocketing. Um I I obviously I you know I I picked the king because that is what we have. I I don't feel particularly strongly about a king versus a queen bed. Right. I just miss being able to lay on the same level with you in the same structure. True. <laughs> True. It's um it's a strange situation, but I mean we have we have beds and that's fantastic. And that is fantastic. <laughs> um, I I will say so. Uh. When you look at like a full size mattress, which is what I used to have, that is just four and a half feet by six point two five feet, right? Uh, which is kind of crazy to think that we we slept on that as long yeah, as we two did. lovers. Well, we would we would spend our nights entwined uh, in a passionate embrace. <laughs> a standard full bed only provides two feet three inches of space per person, right? So you basically like have enough room to kind of turn from like your one side. You and me to are stomach big wigglers at night. I feel like we <laughs> yeah. do a lot of tossing and turning. <laughs> we really explore the space. Yeah. And so yeah, I I appreciate having the extra space. I don't I don't know that I would need a California king. That's the thing. Like 
like w- neither of us is like particularly tall. I mean, me not at all. And, and I'm huge. And you're you're not you're not six I'm feet. Huge. I'm you're not, I'm basically six feet. You're not yet six feet. So there's a bunch of weirdos on the internet who want to know exactly how tall I am, <laughs> and I will not give it. I will not give in to that. So I will say almost six feet, and I will leave it there. You could you could comfortably round up to six feet. Well, you could comfortably <laughs> round up to six feet. But yeah, we we have a particular mattress that we have had for years now that has our little divots in it, uh, and we should probably get a different mattress. But, right. But I feel so. I can't. I'm too old to start working on a new divot. <laughs> <laughs> that trench. I put a lot of sweat equity into that trench. I'm not just going to give that up. Uh, yeah. So beds beds are good. <laughs> Can I steal you away? It can be intimidating trying to roll with the console cowboys in cyberspace. Um, there's always the worry that maybe they know something that you don't vis-a-vis um, website design or website functionality, and you think, I could never be that. I could never be among their illustrious ranks. Griffin, if I wanted to build a website where I ranked my favorite episodes of Ghostwriter, would I be able to do that? Well, first of all, it would be... The same list as everybody else's with the Julia Stiles episode at the top. But yes, you can do that with Squarespace. It's the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. Every Squarespace website and online store comes with a suite of integrated features and useful guides that help maximize prominence among search results. Do you want to have special functionality like maybe a members-only VIP club section of your website? You can do that. Do you want to sell stuff? Yeah, you can do that too. Do you want to have an online scheduler so that people you can, you can sell? Uh, your time yeah you can do that also anything is possible that's um there for the commercial the super bowl commercial they had that was my voice yelling anything is possible in the wow background. yeah not a lot of people know that hey head to squarespace.com slash wonderful pod for a free trial and when you're ready to launch use offer code wonderful pod to save 10 percent off your first purchase of a website or domain griffin yeah you know it's a shame what is that when you order uh, meals to be delivered to you, they can only be for dinner. That's true because of the law. But wait, wait, what's this coming across our desk? The law is different now? <laughs> it's factor. These rebels are operating outside the boundaries of food law. <laughs> factor has breakfast. They have midday bites. They have smoothies. Uh, there's lots of stuff you can get with Factor. What other things can you get with Factor? Well, I'm looking at this menu right now. They got a lot of tasty little options for you. I'm talking about artichoke and spinach chicken with roasted zucchini and tomato butter. Did you even know that butter could be tomato? <laughs> Not me. Shredded chicken and loaded mashed taters with, I changed the word. They say potatoes, but I said taters, precious. With mushroom <laughs> gravy, smoked cheddar, uh, bacon, and Parmesan broccoli. Uh, this this menu is out of sight, and my mouth is just watering looking at these glossy JPEGs of tasty food. So head to factormeals.com slash wonderful50 and use code wonderful50 to get 50% off. That's code wonderful50 at factormeals.com slash wonderful50 to get 50% off. We have a couple jumpy plumps here, and I would love to read the first one. Please do. The first one is for future Lydia, and it is from past Lydia, who says... Hi, you. I know sometimes it's hard to see that you're doing great, but trust me, you are. You've got a lot of good things ahead of you, like moving to Austin with your best friends and writing a whole last book for your thesis. Take a breath, kiss Titus on his little doggy head, maybe get some more sleep, and remember, you've got this in the bag. Welcome to Austin! Welcome! Picked a great time to be here! Uh, I, I, for a second, I was going to make a joke about like, is a message for future Lydia from past Lydia. And I was going to joke like, here's the scores to the big sports game. Make sure you bet on them. But that's was backwards from how it would work. <laughs> if past me, if past me was like, let me tell you about how this, <laughs> the final score of the Buffalo Bills, Atlanta Falcons, Super Bowl. I would be like, no, what? No, they weren't the ones. And why would you know that? Anyway. Uh, Can I read this next one? Oh, yes. It is for Ed. It is from Dressler. Ed, I love you more than the moon, and you know how I feel about the moon. Hmm. 
You're the best vampire screenplay writing partner, the best virtual cow co-parent, and the best maybe future husband I could possibly hope for. You already know all of this, but now you extra know it. I love that. I love an aspirational Jumbotron. It's uh, it's it's uh, it's empowering. You also made like a like a little noise of recognition about the moon. I love the moon. Yeah. Moon's great. Talked about the moon on this show. Did a whole segment about the moon. Big <laughs> governs tides. Love that. Big. Um, bright sometimes too. Werewolf. Real bright. Different colors. Love that. Maximum Fun is a network by and for cool, popular people. But did you know it also has an offering designed to appeal to nerds? A show for nerds? On Maximum Fun? The devil, you say? It's true. It's called The Greatest Generation, and they review episodes of a television program for nerds called Star Trek. They've reviewed TNG, DS9, and are now reviewing Voyager. Hey, Star Trek. My daughter enjoys that program. Well, if she enjoys that, and she enjoys humor of the flatulent variety, might I recommend she subscribe to The Greatest Generation? Hey, are you calling my kid a nerd? Why, I oughta... Well, gotta go! Become a friend of DeSoto by subscribing to The Greatest Generation on MaximumFun.org today! Can I do my second thing? Yes. My second thing is a, a drum break from an old song that has been sampled in thousands of pieces of music and has gone on to define entire sort of subgenres of music. And that thing that I'm going to talk about is called the Amen Break, which I feel like I had heard about it before. I had definitely heard about sort of, uh, you, you know, drum samples that had been, you know, at the core of you know certain certain hip hop movements in the 80s and 90s and and you know british dance music movements uh but i i don't think i knew specifically the amen break was like the sample was like the loop um, yeah this was i mean it was something that when you sent it to me it was familiar right uh but i had never heard of it as a thing yeah that's what i find really really fascinating about stuff like this is that you don't have to possess like a categorical like understanding of music history or theory you hear this this drum loop and then you realize that you've heard it in so many songs uh and it, it's like learning this secret language that like underpins a lot of music of just like oh my god like it's like the wilhelm scream do you know about that the like sound effect that's in like every movie of a guy like falling and going like Wah! and it's in everything it's in ev- <laughs> they sneak it into every movie it's almost like a easter egg for you know sound mixers and editors and stuff like that i feel like this is kind of like that so i'm gonna play um, the Amen Break, which is a essentially a four bar drum solo uh, that is taken from a 1969 song called Amen Brother, which was a B side from a soul band called the Winstons, uh, and it was played by a drummer named Gregory Coleman, and it's six seconds long. But when you hear it, you're going to realize that you've heard it uh, everywhere. So here is the Amen Break. It's just this unassuming thing, and it's so short, uh, but it has been just absolutely everywhere. So in the 80s, uh, it it started to appear on these bootleg compilations of uh, famous beats and and breaks for DJs to use, because sampler technology kind of came up in the early to mid-80s, and that's when people started to really seek out these really incredible drumming performances from from the past, from the 60s and, and 70s and earlier even in some cases. Uh, and the Amen break, for whatever reason, just like, I think you could probably think about it as just like it went viral uh, and started to go just absolutely everywhere. So Salt and Peppa were the first like big mainstream artists to sample it in a song called I Desire, which came out in 1986. Um, but where it really, really, really like took the main stage is that it is the backing drum beat for straight out of Compton. Uh oh. just like front to back. Like that is the drum beat behind Straight Out of Compton. Uh it is pitched down, I think, and slowed down a bit because uh when it is sampled, you know, it's usually pitched up and the tempo's kicked up for, you know, techno music when it's used in in drum and bass loops. 
but in a lot of like uh, hip hop of that era, it was slowed way down, but it's still the same. It's still the exact same sample. It's just like been processed differently. So it became sort of more u- ubiquitous in hip hop uh, in the late 80s and, or and early 90s. Uh, and I, but I think the bigger kind of like impact that it had is how it created this entire breakbeat dance genre which, like I said earlier, was kind of the the purview of British DJs uh, who were messing around with these old breakbeats to create, like, the drum and bass sample, a lot of techno music, uh, the jungle genre, a lot of industrial dance music at that time. There were just so many different tiny little subgenres of dance music that had this six seconds of drumming, like, at the very core of it. It, it is a seed that like branched out into all of these different places based on this one four bar performance that this dude laid down on a B-side track back in 19, you know, de- back in 1968. Yeah, this is this is fascinating to me because as somebody who doesn't make, you know, music or or, you know, has experience like composing music, I don't always hear kind of the individual pieces of right. a song. Mm-hmm. So it's always interesting for me to hear like, oh, yeah, this is used all over the place. And yeah. You just never notice. It's everywhere. So uh, outside of like hip hop and uh, uh, drum and bass, you know, dance music, uh, Bowie sampled it, um, Oasis sampled it, the Futurama theme song. It's the backing drums for the Futurama theme song front to back. Like you hear it's it, you really will hear it everywhere now, yeah. which is kind of awesome. Uh, what is significantly hugely less awesome is that because it was sort of propagated through these these compilation albums which credited the performers and artists behind those those beats sort of uh, not uniformly let's say the artist who actually like played the drums uh, Gregory Coleman never got a penny he died in 2006 he was oh uh, my gosh. he was like impoverished he died in Atlanta in 2006 and the band leader for the Winstons a guy named Richard Lewis Spencer said that he he was pretty sure that Gregory Coleman like did not know like had no idea that this this beat that he had made had changed music forever, which is heartbreaking, which is very, very sad. None of the artists, none of the Winstons got like a dime from this, didn't even know that it was a thing until uh, I think like 1997, a uh, record label came to Richard Lewis Spencer and was like, hey, we, can we have the masters for the Amen break? And he's like, what are you talking about? What do you mean? And that's when he found out that it had been in all of these songs and taken off and est- established all these new genres. And he was fucking pissed. I, I, understandably, it had gone on to be in so many songs that it made so much money and they hadn't seen a dime of it. Uh, he eventually would go on to kind of um, recognize that it is rad that th- this this thing that they made had gone on to be so important to like capital M music. Um, and in 2015, some British DJs like wanted to right this wrong. So they launched a GoFundMe campaign and raised like $40,000 that they then sent to Richard Lewis Coleman. Uh, but he he passed away last year, sadly. Um, so like it's it's very messy, clearly, the the lack of of rules for how to credit yeah. and uh, pay royalties to 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 these artists. But it is it, it, like. It is fascinating to know that these sort of like Rosetta Stones exist out there uh, that are just everywhere. The Amen Break is not the only one of these. There's something called the Think Break that is also a very memorable like uh, yeah. uh, break like this. There's a there's a James Brown like drum break that is also yeah. like super ubiquitous. Yeah, Although I imagine wonder, he probably got more credit for it. You kind of wonder what comes first, like whether somebody's sitting down and they're putting a song together and it's the only thing they can think about while they're doing it. Yeah. Or if it's like a little nod to like history more than it is a like inspiration point yeah i mean i think it is mostly i think it is mostly that like a nod to history yeah the other thing i find really fascinating about stuff like this is like it ties two time periods together like when i think about music being made in 1968 i do not think about (laughs) british drum and beat bands that i was like listening to on winamp in 1999 uh, to me, like that music was this own thing that was very kind of futuristic and like industrial in a way that the soul movement in 1968, like I was, I did not think about it like that. And yet, 
this drum performance that informed all of this, like what I thought of as futuristic music when I was listening to it, happened in 1968. That's awesome. That means that like music doesn't have a, it's not crystallized in time necessarily. Like there are, I had this thought like, uh, when I finally like got into the Beatles in my teens, where I was like, wait a minute, like a lot of this sounds like music that I listen to today that I think of as only being possible in the era that we live in now. Like yeah. there's something inherently futuristic or at least like present about the music that's being made now. But you go back and listen to older songs and it's like, this could be recorded today. Mm-hmm. Or not only that, this made music what it is today. So it's yeah. not like, oh, that's just old stuff. Uh, I think that that's amazing. I think that's, you know, super cool. So that's the amen break. Yeah, that's uh, cool. I apologize for uh, if I did sort of poison everybody's brains who are now going to like <laughs> hear this stick out like a sore thumb anytime they hear it in a song. But there it is. What's your second thing? My second thing, I, I thought about being more specific than this, but then I decided the category itself was really something I wanted to talk about. And that is just generally funny women. Okay. Just women that are funny. Sure. I think it's something that I realized uh, just not too long ago that was very important to me. Um, Because I think when I was a kid, you know, my kind of like comedy influence or whatever, you know, what I thought was funny was mostly male dominated because that was just what I had exposure to. Yeah. Uh, And I realized just uh, the reason this came to mind was because of. Uh, Amy Poehler and Tina Fey just recently hosting the Golden Globes. And it's just this reminder that like the power of, of seeing a woman on stage, you know, and on stage because she is funny and being funny, uh, because it is still something that feels a little subversive. I mean, you know? in our lifetime, the and obviously, clearly, this conversation is still happening, but, you know, hopefully relegated more to the shithead uh, <laughs> contingent of of people on the Internet. But like. <laughs> I, I I remember conversations like hearing conversations like in the media of just like can women be funny too yeah and it's and and again like people are still assholes about stuff like that but it used to be so matter of fact this was like not long ago this was like less than ten years ago Christopher Hitchens wrote that article of like why women aren't funny and I'm sure he wrote it largely to be inflammatory but it, it definitely people were Hitchens? like <laughs> people were like yeah why aren't they so strange uh and and i feel like it is something so i i grew up uh just in a house with a lot of very funny women uh and i didn't realize that that was particularly unique until i got older um but i always found being funny to be something really important and really interesting and i found myself drawn to like to having that community like in among all my friends all the time. Uh, and it was strange to me as I got older and I realized like that that is not typically a priority uh, for women. And if you think about like, you know, fairy tales and stuff, like, you know, like the focus is on being attractive and desirable. And that is not always the trait that people go to right away. Yeah. Um, but then you look at like, you know, obviously Saturday Night Live is kind of the easiest thing to point to. Um, but I just remember like finding like Gilda Radner and realizing like, like there, there is a way to do this that is so like, uh, intoxicating, you know, and, and exciting and interesting and, and important. Uh, and that, that made a big difference for me. Yeah, for sure. And it, it is something like I, I don't know. I, I, you know, I'm not like, I don't know. I never like fancied myself like a comedian, you know, uh, or somebody that like wanted to make comedy, but, but I always found like being funny to be like the most interesting quality. And, and one of the things that like really, I feel like drew me to you, not, not just that you were funny, but that you were quick, Mm -hmm. you know, like there are a lot of guys out there that are like, funny yeah dane cook (laughs) (laughs) you're dane you're dane cooks but i need that like quickness you know like i need to be like if i'm if i'm having a conversation with somebody and they are they are being funny it does not work for me unless they say something unexpected like in a very like fast off the cuff manner yeah Uh, and i appreciate that about the mcelroys i think yeah thank you um so there have been a lot of studies on like male versus female like 
funny humor, like approaches to humor, why like why men are seen as more funny. Yeah, I mean, um, as long as we're arbitrarily sort of exploring the gender binary, <laughs> yeah, then let's, uh, let's add a layer of extra arbitrariness to that. I know, I almost didn't want to talk about it, but then it, it, it was just... It, it it continues to be such a thing, right? You know, um, and it, and it's hard not to, uh, because generally, um, women will say, you know, when they are looking for a male partner, that they want that person to be funny, and uh, that is just not as common when men are looking for female partners. I know a lot of people have a lot of feelings about Amy Schumer, but like the one of the things that stuck out the most to me in the documentary that we watched about her sort of I forget who made it. It was part of a series about her like childbirth experience was like you really get to see what it's like being kind of the focal point of that con- like conversation currently or not currently, maybe, you know, five five years ago or something, whenever the Amy yeah. Schumer show was on the air when like she was the focal point for this conversation of like what does it mean for a a woman comedian? Which like ignores all of the women comedians yeah. that had come before and were also doing it at that time. But like people just fucking hated her because she was a successful woman comedian. Yeah. And she was the first female comedian to uh, do Madison Square Garden. Right. You know, like she has definitely blazed a trail for a lot of other people. Uh, so all, all of these studies kind of look at, you know, different traits that people are say that they're interested in and how it actually stacks up the study. There was a study actually at university of Missouri that I thought was interesting, um, that said, uh, men prefer women who are receptive to their humor, whereas women prefer men who produce humor. (laughs) Uh, which I thought was very telling. What does it say about men who are looking for women who are just kind of patient with their humor? <laughs> uh, in this in this study, participants were given an imaginary budget of five dollars to spend on a trait they want in their sexual what partner. What the fuck? Isn't this kind of fascinating though? So the idea is you get five dollars and you budget it out for different traits you want. And you pay what more. What is this weird science <laughs> fucking cold stone creamery of a human being that you're doing? It gives you really interesting data, though. So the more they spend on tra- on traits, the more their partner would embody that characteristic. So women she found would spend just $1.91 on a mate who laughs at their jokes, but men would spend $3 on one. <laughs> Three dollars. I don't have enough food to eat this month. What happened? It was very important to me that she thought I was funny. There's also older studies where they look at, here's one from 1998, where people were shown photos of people of the opposite sex, along with transcripts of interviews supposedly conducted. Uh, In the interviews, the photo subjects came off as either funny or bland. For the women, a man's use of humor in the interview increased his desirability. The women's use of humor, meanwhile, didn't make the men want to date them more. It actually made them slightly less alluring. Fuck. Oh, man. Um, There's a lot to be said to just evolutionarily about people that are funnier or smarter and whether or not, like, there is a predisposition to be drawn towards a a smarter mate – you know, for survival reasons. Or oh, so like whatever. seeing humor as emblematic of yeah. intellect? Yeah. Oh, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can tell you that's not. No, 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 no. That's not it. I know two state capitals. <laughs> the thing that I found, and this is something I've found true, uh, is there was a 2001 study that analyzed casual conversations among young people. And it found that women told many more jokes when they were in all female groups, which which I have found to be true a lot of times, too. I'll be in a big room of people and I won't realize somebody is particularly funny. But then if it's just like, you yeah. know, me and the girls, all of a sudden these people come forward and I'm just like, oh, my gosh, I had no idea you were so funny. Yeah. So it speaks a lot to kind of just what what is and isn't encouraged, you know, in, in kind of a, a mixed group. Um. But yeah, I, I mean, it's 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 an awkward thing to talk about, I think, because there's there's a lot of, you know, outdated and kind of antiquated 
construction to this whole the concept. The question itself is, kind of, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and it is something that I I have found personally. I mean, when we started this show as Rose Buddies, the majority of the reviews that like kind of commented on on my kind of introduction to the podcast world were just kind of like, I didn't, she, you know what? Funny, yeah. no idea, didn't expect it, you yeah. know? And I feel like you find that a lot if you are uh, somebody who is trying to make jokes as a woman. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and it is, it's just, it's powerful. It's powerful to see people like, Maya Rudolph on stage, you know, like doing something, you know, that is just like feels, you know, radical still. Yeah. Uh, and so I just wanted to to draw attention to that and say it's wonderful. Yeah, you're wonderful. Thank you're you. so funny. <laughs> My favorite thing in the world is like late night, um, like slum like slumber party levels of exhaustion <laughs> after just like a long day with Henry, and like one of us will pitch an idea like uh like different names of jeff foxworthy ted talks yes and then we'll just fucking go and go and you will just like lay there quietly for four minutes and just drop (laughs) this 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 bomb i will get very quiet and griffin will realize that i'm still trying to think i like won't go to sleep i'll be like i gotta stay up to hear rachel's next bon mot do you want to know what our friends at home are talking about yes uh, here's one from Jesse who says the snow has melted here in Vancouver, BC, and spring flowers are starting to pop up. Crocuses and daffodils and snowdrops are everywhere, and it makes me so happy to see that spring is coming and winter is over. Uh, there's been a weird um, thing that has kind of happened in reverse here in Austin, and I'm sure all over Texas, is that our succulents turned into full blown Dolly painting, yeah. melted, weird. Uh, abstract like landscapes yeah there is the suggestion that potentially you can cut some of these plants back and they will uh regenerate um but it really looks like everything is just gone one of our friends started an instagram account called flaccid plants because it just (laughs) it's it really does look like somebody put a hairdryer on these bad boys for uh an hour and a half and just let it it let it it melt uh, yeah, I will say though, I mean, like Texas, you get those huge swings. So we, after being like 10 degrees, are now up in the like 70s and 80s. So it seems likely spring is coming. Maybe but- some of the, and some uh, like forms of cacti have hairs, I guess, that grow out of it. Uh, kind of wispy, uh, what's the word? Like flaxen kind of hairs that grow out of it. And when the freeze happened, a lot of those plants ejected those hairs rapidly. And so you just see these weird, like white, like animal tails just drooping out of potted plants all over. It's, it is, it is one of the weirder sort of visual effects of what happened here in Texas. Uh, Anyway, here's another one from Quentin and Melissa who say, uh, one thing we think is wonderful this week is the uh, Danish concept of hygge. It, that's H-Y-G-G-E. It's the Danish Danish antidote to being forced indoors all the time. The perfect example is snuggling on the couch, reading a book, and drinking drinking hot beverages with the soft light of candles nearby. This was something I just became aware of like last year. It was yeah. like a phenomenon where everybody was talking about that like aesthetic. Yeah, I didn't know. Um, um, yeah. I, yeah. No, it, it's definitely like it's not something we see a lot of in Texas, but in areas that have that kind of cold climate traditionally. Yeah. Get that real cozy. <sighs> yeah, I'm sure. Cozy if vibe. <laughs> if you're equipped for it, I'm sure it's dope. Um, I, I'm not sure if what we had to do when our house was freezing qualified as hygge, no. but like locking ourselves in a single chamber with all the candles we owned lit. Um, yeah, but like, you know, when you see like an Airbnb and it's like, yeah. it's like a cabin, cabin and they aesthetic. have a variety of throw rugs sure. and blankets. Yeah, I'm into that. Hey, thank you to Bowen and Augustus for the use of our theme song, uh, Money Won't Pay. You can find a link to that in the episode description. And um, thank you so much for listening. And thank you to Maximum Fun for having us on the network. we got so many great shows at MaximumFun.org that you should go listen to. Can I interest you in a triple click? That's may a I good interest, idea. May I interest you in one of our fine triple clicks if you like video video games. 
May I interest you in one of our Stop Podcasting Yourselves? We have many over here on this shelf. And what about Dr. Game Show? We have a fresh batch of Dr. Game Show for you. It is right here on the... On, it's a blue light special. <laughs> uh, I think that's it. I think we're, I think we're done. Um, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And, um, oh, do you want to tell people about that rescheduled, uh, adventure zone? Um, Hey, if you like, uh, adventure zone, we have rescheduled the live show that was originally going to happen a couple weeks back. It is now this Friday, uh, March the 5th. And, uh, I believe it's at 9 PM Eastern time. And you can find tickets, uh, at McElroy.family. We're playing a game called honey heist where we are bears who are trying to steal, things uh we got erica ishii who's going to be our guest i'm very excited to 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 play a game with uh and it's also going to be choose your own uh, adventure interactive experience which should be fun uh (laughs) i i it's weird for me going into a live show without really knowing what to expect i have no idea how this thing's gonna go but it's gonna be a lot of fun and it's this friday so go to mcroy.family and and you make a really great bear thank you i played uh, a bear and i will be reprising the role i assume of the thomas crown affair the polar bear (laughs) uh who is uh who's spectacular anyway um, speaking of bears, I'm very hungry, and I would love <laughs> to go chow down on some on some you know some grub. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.